Hello and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We're recording from Forsyth, Georgia. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. Today we'll be talking about the silly things, yes, the silly things that women can do in and around pregnancy that can affect them or their unborn child. We're fortunate to have with us today Mrs. Shamika Brown. She's a mother, she's a wife, she's a nurse practitioner and the first lady of a church. She has been through pregnancy twice and comes with a wealth of experience to talk to us about these issues today. Welcome, Mrs. Brown, to our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Bola. You know, you're from around here. Right. You talk about, you know, there are two things I want you to talk some more about that I think is so important for women to hear. You talk about, you know, starting things with prayer and you talk about having a village. And me also coming from that angle, there is a strength in being able to call on a creator to help, to say, okay, I have all these things going on. I am overwhelmed. You know, I'm crying silently. Even my husband doesn't see me cry. I'm crying. I'm stressed. There's a baby crying in the background. Somebody is calling from my job. I have to clean this house and put the laundry load in. And I'm just like at my wit's end as to what to do. What are some of the things that women can do, you know, prayer, relaxation, just to help? Because these are real life situations of working mothers. Right. Well, you named the first two. I would also say exercising because we know exercise releases chemicals that just make you feel better and balance out your emotions as well. So exercise is great, but perhaps you have limited time and, you know, maybe you got somebody banging on the wall. (laughs) banging on the wall, you can't exercise in peace, just finding something. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, when I was at the stage where my children were very young, I surrounded myself by other honest moms who were at that same spot in life. So breastfeeding was a lot easier for me because I had a village where we all were trying to navigate breastfeeding and working. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen and sometimes it does and the baby doesn't respond and you know so having that village of support for that same thing with learning how to just say I need help or I need a break I do believe that postpartum depression is real and it's not something that we discuss enough especially in our community because we're silent and strong and we can take it all on but we really can't we can't and so being able to acknowledge those weaknesses, seeking professional help when needed, you know, therapy, counseling, you know, the beautiful thing about, and I say beautiful, but nothing about COVID is beautiful. But one of the beautiful things that have come from COVID is the way they have adjusted our health care to be so much more convenient than it was before. So you can have a visit with your therapist through telehealth. And so a phone call with the therapist may outweigh a phone call with somebody that says, girl, we all been through it. Get over it. You know, it's all right. You're just thinking too hard. You know, finding people around you that can understand and sympathize with you and have compassion for you when you're at those low moments. I think that's very important. But I mean, exercise, rest, which you probably won't get for a while. You just won't. Sleep is just hard to find when your children are young. I remember when I when I had my daughter, my first daughter, the first time I slept longer than 15 minutes, I felt like I had been asleep for like 12 hours. It was 27 minutes. 
that's the best sleep I ever got in my life. That's crazy, though. So, you know, but we're built for it. Our bodies are designed for this, for this purpose, and knowing that if you seek that higher power, I believe there's strength in that spiritual relationship because, you know, there would be nights where having two small children and a husband that I still wanted to feel like I was giving my undivided attention to, I felt like I split my body up in three ways and gave everybody something but me. And so by the time everybody ate and everybody felt loved and everybody was wet or dry and played with and loved, I had nothing left to give myself. And so I found myself sitting on the steps a lot of nights crying and praying and seeking God for direction. And, you know, and even even lately, because in a pandemic, it's been emotionally draining, especially on mothers, especially working mothers. Hats off to y'all who are home with these kids. I I don't know how you do it, (laughs) but Proverbs 31. And I was reading that scripture one day and that was, I mean, that was in the last couple of months and, and just reading that scripture and realizing all the things that that Proverbs 31 woman did and what she was to her family, what she was to her community and knowing that, okay, God, well, you have designed me to be able to take on these responsibilities. So just help me to be able to approach every hat that you have for me with love and, you know, from a perspective of not defeat, but knowing that if you brought me through to something that you can give me all the tools and the resources that I need to achieve it or to overcome it if it's going back to school if it's starting a new career, whatever it is, we can still do that because if we can drop everything and give ourselves for our families, we can absolutely do that for ourselves as well. Wow. Wow. You, you're so real. Thank you. One phrase I hear a lot amongst the women around here is they'll say, I'm going to call my pastor on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, being a pastor's <laughs> wife, how, how how does that pan out? I mean, you know, like, you know, like calling a male pastor with female issues. It's fine because you know? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the funny thing is I, I tell people, if you ever see me and my husband interact, sometimes you don't know what we are to each other. And when I'm having my low moments, I don't call him as my husband. He is my pastor as well. So I can definitely understand the calling the pastor. And I'm never one to stand in the way of anybody that needs that. Because again, that spiritual lifeline sometimes is your only lifeline. So me being a wife and a mother and, you know, a career woman and all those things, I definitely understand if people need that accessibility to their pastor. I'm Thankful for those who have it, and I'm prayerful for those who don't, because it is a big deal. I also have a strong support system, though, of women that are ministers and pastors and, you know, that can kind of help be my support system in that as well. And I encourage other women to do the same thing. But, yeah, I'll never stand in the way. You can always call. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is great. Now, you know, just uh, switching gears back to food and cravings. Mm -hmm. Pregnant women come to me and I hear this phrase, I'm eating for two. And at times, I mean, yeah, the appetite is increased and you need a little bit more calories in pregnancy and breastfeeding. But at times women go overboard and the end of that is like obesity. Right. What is the deal with craving pregnant women and what what can we do about this? I do believe the cravings 
phenomenon is real. However, I also believe we put a little flavor to it ourselves, sometimes for attention. Sometimes it's just psychological. You've always been told that I'm eating for two, so I can eat it double the meals. The baby is this big majority of the time. You didn't eat two racks of ribs for <laughs> something this size. You didn't. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was blessed in that. I didn't have really cravings in my pregnancy. My husband did, but I didn't. He did um, for you. He had the cravings, okay. and he was sleepy all the time, and he, <laughs> he was all the stuff that I should have been, but I was just like, I am not doing this, <laughs> and I just made a conscious decision to not give in to those cravings. One thing that people don't always know is that certain cravings are abnormal, and so, you know, certain things, if you're craving them in pregnancy, it may be a sign of a deficiency that you have within your body that needs to be addressed in pregnancy because it could mean a difference in your outcome. So I think sharing those cravings with your physician are always very important. Um, it could signal that you're anemic or folic acid deficient, whatever, like share those cravings with your physician, but try to be mindful. I mean, you are eating for two technically, but not really. That baby doesn't require as many additional calories as we would like to think. Definitely not a full adult meal. And then what are you eating? So if you're eating junk or if what you're craving is Coca-Cola's all day or junk food or candy, well, that's adding no nutritional value to your unborn baby either. So, you know, keep that in mind. I would say watch your weight as well, because sometimes the cravings thing, it's not its not a craving. You just know that the stomach is going to grow anyway. Let me go ahead and enjoy this season of my life and gain all this weight. But there are recommendations based on how you fall with your BMI before pregnancy to know how much weight you should even be gaining during pregnancy, because, you know, too much of a weight gain could signal that you may be preeclamptic or you may be having other pregnancy-related complications that you're just attributing to the weight gain, and it may be something entirely different and a lot more serious. Don't give in to the cravings, people. And, and avoid salty foods, daily Please. foods and stuff yes. like that, um, sugary foods. Sugary foods, yeah. junk food, you know, pregnancy-related diabetes is a real thing that you don't want to experience. Listeria, you know, the risk of listeria from the deli meats. You know, my OBGYN, he was old school, so he was like, these are all the things I don't want you to interact with as much as possible. Now, I will say, and this might be funny, but I had one craving in pregnancy, and it was for crystals. I hate crystals. I hate crystals. The, the hamburger crystals. Yes, but it was so crazy because my mind craved the crystals, but my baby did not. So I would buy them, and I could never actually eat them because I would get sick. I could never eat them. So thank you, Simone, for keeping me <laughs> from eating something I didn't need. I will say, you know, different pregnancies may come with a different type of food that you prefer to eat eat with my first pregnancy I only wanted fruits and vegetables no sweets no junk nothing with my second pregnancy I basically could only eat meat so we had to supplement with like insure and just trying to encourage other things because I could not eat other things but those are things that you should be discussing with your physician so that they can help you track that process along correctly so that you and your baby will still be healthy Wow. And a lot of hydration, drinking a lot of absolutely non-caffeinated drinks as right. much as possible. And because caffeine can also contribute to low birth weight babies, dehydration, you know, increases your chances of UTIs. If you're dehydrated, your baby is not getting what it needs. Low amniotic fluid can 
cause other complications in your delivery. So all those things matter. Wow. Thank mm-hmm. you. And then how about, um, you talked about activities, leisure activities to avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that we think, you know, I'm just chilling out, I'm relaxing, but might not be so good for you and the pregnancy. Right. Hot tubs and saunas. That's a biggie. So studies have shown that fevers increase the risk of development of neural tube defects. And so hot tubs and saunas increase your temperature. So it's not that you have a fever, but to your body, your temperature is actually raised. So that's the same deal. So those things can actually cause you to have complications in your pregnancy. So avoiding those, staring clear of painting the nursery yourself, avoiding those strong chemicals. Uh, When you think about the chemicals, you think about painting. What you don't think about is cleaning products. You know, especially for y'all that are nesting, those cleaning products, making sure you're in a safe environment that's well ventilated, you know, that you're masking up appropriately so you're not inhaling those chemicals, as well as, you know, nail salons and inhaling those chemicals for long periods of time. For those who may still consider tanning beds and excessive sun exposure, those, all those things can be dangerous in pregnancy as well. Oh, wow. Well. How about the kitty leader? You, you. Oh, yeah. So toxoplasmosis is something that you can come in contact with because of the exposure to the urine of the cat, which it converts over in that kitty litter. So I don't have a cat because I don't like cats anyway. So, But if you actually like cats and you have one, give it to a friend during pregnancy. You cannot interact with that kitty litter. That can be problematic for your delivery. Oh, mm-hmm. well, well. And then uh, how about sleep positions? You know, I I know that women ask and I'm not, you know, did you want to say something about that? Yeah, so avoiding sleeping on your back, just anatomically, as you get bigger in pregnancy, that can pose an issue for oxygenation for your baby, cord compression. You can't breathe like that anyway, y'all. It is horrible. It's like sleeping with somebody sitting on top of you. So um, avoiding sleeping on your stomach. Um, and I think laying on your left side is the preferred position just because it allows everything on the side of your heart to get oxygenation properly and, you know, make sure your baby's getting what they need. But avoid back sleeping and you can't sleep on your stomach past a certain point anyway. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because really data as early as 2011 show that sleeping in the back position mm-hmm. can carry a two and a half times increased risk right. for stillbirth, right. you know, after 28 weeks, mm-hmm. about uh, seven months of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So expectant moms should aim to sleep on their sides mm-hmm. instead. And just to buttress also what you said about the caffeinated drinks, there was a new study in 2021 that showed that caffeine consumption, even at lower levels than recommended, that was 200 milligrams per day limit, can lead to smaller birth sizes of the baby and may be correlated with future health risks like diabetes and obesity for the child. Mm-hmm. So just to buttress what you had said before. And also, you know, when you talked about painting the nursery, indeed, it's an exciting time, but the paint toxicity also depends on the chemical composition of the paint and the solvents that are used. So the toxicity can vary from paint to paint. But a safe bet is to have somebody else handle the painting. Now, this is one topic that I know women would like to know about. Sexiness in and around pregnancy. 
Um, we'll keep it PG. We keep it PG. <laughs> okay. I mean, can I wear six inches heels in pregnancy? Can I wear my stilettos in pregnancy? These are real life questions that mm -hmm. uh, clients have asked me. What is your take on a woman, uh, you know, because the image, her image is important to her, how she keeps being appealing to her partner is important to her. What is your take on this issue? So, you know, the short answer, can you? Yes. Should you? No. <laughs> so as your body changes and develops, you know, in pregnancy, it kind of throws off your balance anyway. So now you got this big front. <laughs> Other things are changing as well. You're gaining weight. You know, you may be a little wobbly, Anyway, so just wearing heels that high, the risk of falling is so high. Now, I didn't have to read this to know that I couldn't wear stilettos in pregnancy. When my husband found out I was pregnant, <laughs> that was like, that's it. You can come back to those at a later time. You are not going to fall and hurt my baby. And so, you know, and when you think of it again in terms of I am a reservoir for life for another being that can't make safe decisions just yet, do you want to put the heels on that you could fall in that could mean a difference in you actually being a mom or not? So I would encourage you to avoid those things. Um, I know, you know, with Instagram and Hollywood and, you know, they do things a different way on TV. But in real life, these people are not walking around like this either. And if they are, zoom in on the feet, people. They are having complications. <laughs> they are having issues as well. Feet are swollen. Babies are being born early. Like these are things that we don't have to experience. If we just take a few months off, you are still sexy. Carrying life in itself is a beautiful, sexy process. Embrace it, but don't put that pressure on yourself to maintain the look. I'm pregnant, but I look like I'm not. Like that affects the safety of you as well as your baby. Um, that being said, I think body insecurities is something that isn't really talked about as much in pregnancy. But, you know, to everybody else, you may be beautiful, but you may not always feel like you are in pregnancy. So, you know, finding a style that's comfortable first and that makes you feel beautiful is great. But also surrounding yourself by people that love you and that make you feel beautiful and that make you feel loved and appreciate that you are carrying life and that, you know, it's not it's not time to be on the red carpet. Like, just, you know, embrace this stage of your life. You can get back to sexy later. That being said, I also wanted to talk about that whole snapback phenomenon. You know, you have your baby Tuesday. You take your picture and post it on Instagram Friday with the flat tummy. That's not real life. That does not happen, okay? Friday, you actually still look pregnant. Actually, it's uglier Friday than it was Tuesday because Friday kind of looks like a brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we need to know that. And we need to know that most of us, that is our reality. I didn't even know this, that, you know, when you have your baby, because these muscles stretch out so much, they actually separate somewhat. And so exercising too soon can be the difference in whether your belly is ever flat again, because you can further stretch and damage those muscles. So allowing your body to recuperate from childbirth before you put that pressure on yourself or the diet. Certainly, if you're going to be breastfeeding, allowing yourself an opportunity to just 
be healthy for a little while, relax, recover. That's major. Even if you didn't have a C-section, you know, even if whatever, like give yourself an opportunity to recover from childbirth before we try to move back to that. But yeah, lay low on the sexy stuff. You're still sexy. You're still beautiful. But, you know, you have to understand that you're carrying life too. So you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your health or the health of your unborn baby. Wow. Wow. And so just what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, this phase of your life and you know, most women glow, you know, they have this glow in, in the second trimester. And we're telling the women to feel good about being pregnant, feel good about this stage of your life. It's not going to last forever. Right. I mean, we're not like, you know, it's like elephants that will be right. pregnant forever. It's a finite period of time. It's going to be over. Right. But enjoy that period of time. Enjoy it. You know, and um, I, I like the what you said about the the Hollywood and the real life, you know, just just be real to yourself mm-hmm. and how you are processing your body image with pregnancy. Of course, with every pregnancy, women retain a little bit more weight mm-hmm. with every pregnancy. And of course, they're also getting older. So, you know, you, they might want to later intensify the exercise to try to get their body back. Yeah. So the other issue is not doing anything in pregnancy, being sedentary, not just laying around. You know, I know that in the first part of pregnancy, because of hormones, women are sleepy, they're tired. But what would you advise about a sedentary, and you've talked some about that, or an active lifestyle in in pregnancy? Mm -hmm. Even um, just if you can't do anything else, just walking. That's plenty of exercise. And not walking because you're going to get something to eat, but like, Walking for the purpose of exercise, not being sedentary, decreases your risk of having DVTs, varicose veins, obesity, lowers your risk of having severe hypertension. I mean, across the board, not being sedentary is a bonus. That being said, being sedentary is the opposite of that. So, you know, just staying active and you may not even feel like doing most of that stuff. You know, just walking, you know, you want to shop for the baby. Okay, go in a store and do more walking than shopping. You know, that's exercise still. And just, you know, find a way, find your happy medium between resting because you're tired all the time or, you know, maybe you're not condition for the amount of weight that you're carrying during your pregnancy, but understanding that even remaining active in pregnancy can translate to a safer, better delivery as well. And for me, that was a big part of it. I knew I wanted vaginal childbirths. And so I had to exercise. I had to be active because I wanted to be able to deliver my children that way. You know, that's not always a reality for every person. And that's not always within your control. But as much as it is, you know, that affects your ability to recover after your delivery as well. Oh, thank you. One other topic you talked about was not disclosing possible pregnancy if attempting to get pregnant to physicians. And you know, I know that when when seeking medical attention is important for for a woman to disclose that she's trying to become or is pregnant, so that uh, the provider can talk about medications or procedures that are indicated or contraindicated in pregnancy. Right. I work in cardiology, so you know, a lot of times in arrhythmia management, there are certain medications that are great for arrhythmias that are common to younger women, but they're not necessarily the best medication to use because these women may be or become pregnant. Knowing that you have somebody that could possibly be 
in that phase of their life alters the way we treat those patients. So you don't give somebody a medication that can cross the placenta and cause you know, neural tube defects, even if it treats their palpitations, because if they could be pregnant, then the negative impact of that medication is going to far outweigh the benefits of it. And so, you know, but not giving that information to your physicians kind of puts them at a disadvantage when they're treating you. And it also puts you at a disadvantage because if you decide that you want to become pregnant or maybe, you know, you might already be, and that could be the difference in a healthy pregnancy and a miscarriage. Also, you know, not sharing that information with your doctor doesn't give them an opportunity to help steer you in the right direction with how to do it. I know in our community, it's not really something that we talk about, you know. So and I talk about it because I like to talk. <laughs> so my doctor knew everything. But not sharing that with your physician, even if it's a year down the line. And, you know, for me personally, when I talked to my physician, I was like, okay, so this time next year, my husband and I are thinking about we're going to probably start trying to have a baby. What do I need to be doing over the course of the next year? And that really helped them steer my treatment, you know, and what I was going to be doing. And so I encourage women to do that. That's why it's so important to have a doctor, be it your primary or your OBGYN, that you trust because you got to be able to give them that information so that they can treat you correctly. Wow. We're on Coco Pods podcast, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We've been talking to Mrs. Shamika Brown. And before we close, she's going to give us one final pearl, one final important thing to tell a pregnant woman out there or a, a woman considering pregnancy about some of the things to do. This is the podcast in which we talk about all the issues, you know, affecting women in and around pregnancy, identify risk factors in behavior, for instance, and talk about ways to mitigate these risk factors. So thank you, Ms. Shamika, so very much for coming. If you were to give us like a, a closing thought for women as to, okay, here I am going into pregnancy and childbirth and I'm a busy woman. I have so many things to do and I want a successful pregnancy. I want a successful childbirth. You know, if you were just to put things all together for us, what would you tell, I guess, a younger you mm -hmm. out there? So I would say, and I did tell younger me this, like I was, <laughs> you, you <laughs> I was told like yourself. 12 years old, like <laughs> I know that one day I want to have kids. And so, you know, I always tell everybody, think about your future with every decision that you make, even today. So perhaps the baby talk is down the road, plan your life, plan your career, plan your friends, plan your decisions around the life that you know that you want to someday have. So if you know that, you know, maybe you are 19 or 20 and you're in college and you know you don't want kids right now, but it's down the road, then guess what? When you're planning birth control, for instance, plan that around the type of pregnancy you want to have or the timeline at which you want to get pregnant because certain birth controls 
take a while to be out of your system or, you know, or a little bit more permanent when you're thinking about getting pregnant, plan your career around incorporating family into it. I knew I wanted a family. I knew I wanted a career, but I wanted a career that did not take me away from my family. So plan your career around knowing that you want a family, you know, plan your lifestyle, you know, don't go try every drug and do everything and then come back to now I want to be somebody's mom. Well, some of those things create lasting damage to your body that might make childbearing difficult for you. Plan your relationships. You know, you probably don't want to pick the guy that's picking everybody else too, because certain STDs, for instance, may be the difference in whether you can actually ever get pregnant. So, you know, plan your every decision as if this is something that you one day want to do on purpose so that when that phase of your life comes, even if there are things that are beyond your control that may alter that, the things that are within your control, make sure you plan those things to incorporate your life into one that you want to have. Wow. Well, thank you. And just before we finish, your name can be pronounced uh, like a, with a like a ch, like cha or sha. Yeah, you had a little story there. So, um, <laughs> I thought. Well, I didn't think anything, but my parents thought I was going to be a boy. My dad's name is Charles, and so I was born, and I was not a boy. <laughs> and so they didn't think they were having any more kids. So they had to scramble because I was going to be Charles Cornelius Collins Jr. And then, and then, well, I was a girl. So they scratched it and they named me Charnika. Over the years, it just kind of morphed into Char more than Char. But my husband and my daughter's names all start with an S. So I felt like I was part of the family more if I go with that S sound than the C. But it's actually Charnika. But I answered it easier. Well, Miss <laughs> Chanika Brown, Mrs. Chanika Brown, we are so grateful to you for coming to the podcast today. You are helping so many women. I mean, you just have no idea. So thank you so much for just the wealth of information that you've given us in this podcast today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs>